Fashion today is created and shown in cities around the world, from New York to Shanghai. Yet Paris is still widely regarded as the most glamorous and competitive of the world's fashion capitals. Hello, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT. In this series of podcasts, I'll be exploring how and why Paris became the capital of fashion. I'll explore the history and mythology of Paris as city of light and the city of fashion in conjunction with our exhibition, Paris Capital of Fashion, which runs through January 4th, 2020. Hello, I'm Valerie Steele, here for episode two. We'll be talking about the birth of the haute couture. Now, couture just means sewing. That's all it means. Contrary to popular belief, haute couture does not mean that something is unique to you, that it's been made just for you and no one else. That might or might not be true with old-fashioned couture, but it's definitely not the case with modern haute couture. So let's explore. What's the history of the couture? As early as the 17th century, you had couturiers, women, who were organized into a guild of dressmakers. That's all they were. They were dressmakers. They were allowed to make clothes for women and children. Tailors made clothes for men, and tailors also made women's riding habits. By the 19th century, after the French Revolution, the guilds had broken up. Anyone with a needle and thread could set themselves up as a dressmaker. Dressmakers were overwhelmingly women in the early 19th century, usually working class, and they were artisans. They had a tiny little shop, maybe with one or two assistants, and they were very much subordinate to their clients. In slave countries, like the United States before the Civil War or Brazil, dressmakers were often enslaved women who sewed for the ladies of the household. And it wasn't that dissimilar for couturiers in Paris. They were working-class women who served middle- and upper-class clients. That changed in the middle of the century, when an Englishman, Charles Frederick Worth, moved over to Paris, worked for a while as a salesman in a mercer store selling expensive fabric, and then set himself up as the first grand couturier big couturier. His innovation was to transform the couture from a small-scale, feminine, artisanal craft into big business and high art, increasingly dominated by men. How did it happen? For a start, he designed a whole collection. And he wasn't making a dress just for you, madam, or you, mademoiselle. He had his collection, and madam came in, and he would say, choose which of these models you would like and choose what color fabric you'd like it in. We have the fabric here, my fabric, which I've chosen, and increasingly that he also designed in conjunction with uh, weavers in Lyon. And then he had a team of women. In one area, they would be sewing the bodices, and another, they'd be sewing the skirts, etc. Soon he had hundreds of workers, hence the idea grand couture, big couture, big business. He also thought of himself as an artist. He wore a beret to look like Rembrandt. He told the press, I am an artist, a great artist of color like Delacroix. At first, they laughed at him for his pretension. After all, he was just a worker, a tradesman, a furnisher of dresses to real middle class and upper class people. 
But soon he was making so much money that people started to give him more respect. And he had many foreign clients, ranging from empresses and queens to American wealthy women. He loved the Americans. He said they had the faces, the figures, and the francs. And he could tell them what to wear, and they'd buy dozens of dresses from him. So in that way, it was big couture. How did it become haute couture? Industrial, ready-to-wear fashion that was mass-produced, sewn with sewing machines, sold in big department stores, that was taking over the world. And other countries were in advance of France, particularly cities like New York, London, a little bit later Berlin, were huge industrial powerhouses, much more so than Paris. But the French were worried. If you could get a nice cape or dress that was mostly mass-produced, where did that leave France, which was based on luxury? So they said, well, it's, it's haute couture. It's high sewing. This is artistic high sewing. And just as Worth had put his own name, his signature, like an artist, in a label inside his dresses, now everyone was saying, you know, French Paris fashion is artistic, made by artist couturiers for ladies who are real connoisseurs of fashion, who are not just wearing mass-produced industrial fashion. So in this way, even though he would set it up as an industry, like a big business, and he would even sell licenses to have things produced in other countries using his models, and he would get a percentage, it was seen as being something still special and luxurious. On display in the couture section, we have three marvelous worth dresses. One from early in his career when he had a Swedish backer, Worth a Boburg, uh, a later one from the 1880s, beautiful ice blue satin couture dress, just magnificent. Next to a pretty good uh, ready-to-wear dress from the Bon Marché, same period, 1880s, which would have had to be fixed up a little bit to fit you by your own little dressmaker. And then a very special dress, because although... The vast majority of haute couture was not made just for you, madam. Occasionally, if it was a client like the Empress Eugenie of France or Mrs. Vanderbilt of New York, Worth might make an exception and go into a state of inspiration to think about what exactly he could make, say, for Mrs. Vanderbilt's fancy dress party that she held in New York and for which she herself dressed as electricity. It's an amazingly gorgeous dress. We're not showing her actual torch, which she had at her original party, which was lit with an electric battery. So that's not functioning anymore. But we have the dress, which is an incredible, unique example of the haute couture by Worth. It's on loan from the Museum of the City of New York, like our other two Worths. Meanwhile, Paris was also in the forefront of setting up the new retail revolution. The first real department store was in Paris, the Bon Marché. And although if you made a dress, you still had to take it to your little dressmaker on the corner to have her fit the dress that you'd bought at the department store. But most of it was already pre-made. And you could buy ready-made corsets. Or you could still go to a private corseteer and have it fitted to you. But now they were made in sizes, different sizes of corsets. You could buy them ready-made. You could buy capes and fans in department stores. Everything was there, flat price. You didn't have to haggle with a salesperson anymore. And things were out on display. You didn't have to say, excuse me, could you take that ribbon out from inside the drawer? It was all out on the counters. 
So a new quote-unquote disease developed, kleptomania, as all these middle and upper class women at the department stores started stealing stuff because it was out in the open. Now, if you were poor and you stole, you were a thief and you were sent to jail. But if you were an upper middle class lady who couldn't help pocketing a few things from the Bon Marche, hmm, your husband was then called in to reimburse them and you were maybe sent off to a psychiatrist to talk about you know, why you were doing this. But it was a new form of shopping and a form that took over. Even the windows of department stores were little theaters where there were human-like mannequins wearing fancy clothes. Fabric would come rippling down luxuriously like waterfalls. There would be an avalanche of parasols in a window. So it was just like a theater. And peasants would come to the city and they would be startled. They'd think, is that a person in the window? Who's that lady? Because it would be a mannequin. So again, things we think of now as being a typical part of modern fashion were invented more than 100 years ago in Paris. The couture became integral to Paris because it was organized and institutionalized. In the beginning, the first couture organization was also an organization of ready-to-wear manufacturers. But by 1911, that was broken off, two separate organizations. And increasingly, in the 20th century, there were more rules. If you wanted to be an accepted member of the haute couture, You had to be based in Paris. You had to have all your clothes made in Paris. You had to show there. You had to show a certain number of clothes at each collection. Foreigners, if they did good enough work, could apply to be accepted as guest members of the haute couture. So someone like Ralph Rucci in America was a guest member. Valentino from Italy was a guest member. We don't have that in America. Therefore, although we have individual dressmakers, and they may sell you expensive handmade clothes which are fitted to your body, the French would argue it's not haute couture because it's not part of the haute couture system, which is unique to France. So this became important as another reason why Paris was special. They had the haute couture and no one else did. They had fashion as art and not just as industry. They were way behind in ready-to-wear fashion, but gradually, when they started to catch up after World War II, when they would do visits to New York and see how things were done here, a new form of ready-to-wear emerged in France, and they did a literal translation. They called it pret-à-porter, ready-to-wear. In the 19th century, they'd called ready-to-wear confection, which was different than couture. But now the ready-to-wear took over. Now almost all fashion coming out of Paris is ready-to-wear. It may be luxury ready-to-wear. Your ready-to-wear luxury dress may cost you six, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. It's not couture. Couture is in the tens of thousands of dollars and more. The prices of couture have gone way up. We'll talk about that more later. But the point is, Paris was able to associate the prestige of the couture even with their luxury ready-to-wear today. So the term luxury, as well as the term art and fashion, became tied into that matrix of what made French fashion, Paris fashion, so special. Our next episode, we'll be talking about New York versus Paris. Thank you for listening.